everybody. I'm Pastor AJ Hausman, and welcome to 10 Foot Pole, a podcast to dig deeper into aspects of the Bible that get glossed over or totally ignored in most preaching. The Bible has a lot of parts that are racy, uncomfortable, and sometimes downright horrifying. Let's talk about it. Uh, hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 14. Uh, today, our guest is Aubrey Thonvold, who is the Executive Director of Reconciling Works, Lutherans for Full Participation. Can you share us with us a little bit about what Reconciling Works is? Because I think it's a super cool um, organization, but not everybody's probably heard of it. Yeah, I would love to. Uh, so Reconciling Works, we have been around in some iteration since 1974. Once upon a time, we were known as Lutherans for Gay People a few years back. Most recent name was Lutherans Concerned North America. And then since 2012, we've been known as Reconciling Works. And so over that course of math, almost 50 years, right? Since 1974. Mm-hmm. We've math. been, thank you. I believe in myself. It's a good start to a Monday. <laughs> uh, but it, over the course of almost those 50 years, the real mission of Reconciling Works has been rooted in how to provide welcome, inclusion, celebration, accompaniment, accountability, advocacy for LGBTQIA plus people within the Lutheran denomination. And so we primarily work with the ELCA, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, right now, because um, they're the most affirming denomination that there is in Lutheran land. Um, so, so that's kind of the work that we do in that place. We work around policy in the ELCA. We, the organization also accompanied and did some organizing for the freedom to marry when that was a, the hot topic, you know, in 2012 into 2015. Um, And then we also are the organization that hosts the Reconciling in Christ program, which has been around since 1983. And so just in the last couple of weeks, we've welcomed, oh goodness, I think we're up to 1,020 Reconciling in Christ partners, RIC partners across the country. And are in a journey of discernment with about another 400. Nice. So, can you yeah. can tell us a little bit about what um, what it means to be an RIC congregation um, and sort of to get that stamp of approval? Um, and so if someone were to come across um, a congregation that does have that RIC stamp on them, what, what that means? Yeah, I think the best part about being RIC is that each congregation and community gets to live into that however feels the most authentic for them. But there are a few requirements that we have. And so first we require a welcome statement where a congregation community has to explicitly name LGBTQIA plus people or people of all sexual orientation, gender identity. Um, And then they also have to have a public commitment to anti-racism because for us at Reconciling Works, that's part of our own organizational commitment. And it's also a commitment of the larger ELCA to be really intentional. in our intersectionality and how we do that ministry and that work together. We also require congregations to be willing to say yes to providing a marriage or blessing of same gender couples, um, whatever that looks like within their buildings and worship spaces, and then an annual contribution to the organization in some way, shape or form. So those are just some of the things that are the baseline requirements, Mm -hmm. but very, very few meet just the baseline requirements often folks go above and beyond and make it what they want it to be because it's a lifelong commitment. Yeah. Well, and it's so. kind of a beautiful process too. how congregate, you know, it invites congregations to have conversation, um, which, which I think is the most important piece when we're talking about, um, you know, making change and talking about what it means to be inclusive. Like those things require, you know, having conversation and what, and what that means for everyone. I hope so. Like, I think congregations uh, who are in their journey of discernment, often it takes anywhere from like 18 months to two years for them to kind of figure it out because we want it to be a lived experience Yeah, experience for folks, not just a, hey, we hung up a rainbow sign. It's going to be cool. You'll be fine. Yeah. But we want people to actually like have language and understanding and capacity to invite people in. And as culture changes, as communities change, conversations and congregations need to be adaptable to understand how they best serve those that they're surrounded by. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's great. And I think, um, yeah, I just coming across churches that have done that work, um, 
because what that tells me is again you're right it's not just like it's not just a, a flag on the door right like it's it's communities that have intentionally you know done some work and had some conversations and decided what does this mean for us and why is this important for us to say that we support this this you know this model of inclusion yeah and are they all doing it right no but are we asking them to be intentional about how they're thinking about it yes so there's always room to grow and learn i agree and as someone who's been in a lot of congregations um on all over the spectrum of welcoming to lgbt um plus (laughs) folks uh yeah it is nice when you're um in a space that's done the work for sure yeah yeah cool well, thanks so much for, for joining us um, and, and sharing that. Um, and excited to hear your thoughts on some Bible talk. So what Let's we're going to do, do, yeah. So we're going to talk about um, John 3, verses 1 to 17, uh, which is the gospel lesson for Sunday, March 5th, which is the second Sunday in Lent. Um, if you're planning on going to a church that follows the revised common lectionary on March 5th. Also a fun fact, um, March 5th is my parents' anniversary. Um, not a super popular time of the year to get married. So I'm not really sure uh, what that was about. I've I've never asked, but I think it's 39 years. Oh, I think how old I am, how old my brother is. Yeah, they'll never hear this, but sure, congratulations. <laughs> anyways um so the gospel of john uh full disclosure this is actually the first i believe it is yes this is the first uh gospel text that we have talked about that will be talked about again on the podcast um we talked about this in season one I don't remember what the episode number is, but it's the first time uh, that the Reverend Chris Schaefer appears on the podcast. Um, so good conversation there. If you listen to this today and you're like, wow, there's just so much juicy stuff happening here. Um, yeah, you can always listen to more um, and go listen to Pastor Chris and I give this a chat. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, it's been a couple of years and even though the Bible doesn't really change, we change. And I think how we approach it and understand it and relate it to our lives always changes. So, and I still think there's a portion of this that gets, um, you know, kind of abused, um, in the modern, um, Christian culture world. And so we're going to kind of name and own those things, but I'm going to read it for you now. Oh, what were you going to say? I was going to say, I just took a deep breath when you were like, there are some things that get used and abused in modern. Uh, yep. 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 Uh-huh, deep yep. Breath. Uh-huh. 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 We'll get into it. All right. But first let's read it. So everyone can come along with us. <laughs> um, John three verses one to 17. And I'm going to read from the new revised standard version updated edition. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, rabbi, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with that person. Jesus answered him, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. 
And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that God gave God's only Son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So much, so much is happening um, in this conversation uh, with Nicodemus. Yeah. So Nicodemus is, um, so we get this language, a leader of the Jews. Um, We've talked about this before on the podcast, this, this thing that the author of John really, um, really has such negative, um, the, the way that they're always pitted against the Jews of like sort of Jesus and disciples versus, you know, kind of making them sort of the bad guy of, of Jesus. Um, and so we get this language here. And so, um, to say what is interesting here is, is who comes, right? So Nicodemus is one of these guys, um, uh, particularly, so one of the leaders. So he sits on the Sanhedrin, uh, which is the group of Jewish leaders, um, who, you know, in a, in a few more chapters, um, are going to decide to put Jesus to death. And so this is a guy who comes in the dead of night to have this conversation mm-hmm. with Jesus. And what does it mean for him to like, uh, you know, that he's coming under the cover of darkness, right? That he doesn't want to have, he doesn't want to be seen talking to Jesus. He doesn't want to have this, you know, uh, you know, the others know about it. They don't want, you know, doesn't want to be, you know, sort of associated with Jesus. Hmm. Wow. It's the language, it's the language that, that I, that I get here anyways. Yeah. And to to kind of think about the implications that come right like what would have happened to nicodemus in his larger community if people would have known that he was stepping out of cultural expectations cultural norms to really seek yeah true answers and clarity on something that was probably stirring in his gut for a while right for him to take this step to be like i just I have to, I have to find out, like, I have to have this conversation. I'm not buying what the others are saying that this is just some heretic guy or whatever. Like I really, I have to find out I have to have to meet him. Yeah. I mean, that's option A or option B is I'm going to go find Jesus and I'm just going to prove Jesus wrong. I'm going to ask this question that he can't answer. <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, I mean, so I'm not sure it, Clearly, yeah, that Nicodemus is walking away with whatever answer he thought that he wanted from Jesus. Yeah. Because Jesus gives him one of those speeches that you leave more puzzled than when you came. <laughs> Which, do you know, I think is actually like a good kind of pastory answer. How many pastors can you ask a simple question to? And they'll talk to you for like 20, 25 minutes and you're like, what did I even ask anymore? Did I... <laughs> oh man my spouse is a is a board certified chaplain so like we joke sometimes like in conversation I'm like can you please stop chaplaining me if we just have a real conversation because it's that same sort of thing where it's like that roundabout answer that doesn't actually give you the yes or no that you were maybe seeking that's funny I have those same conversations (laughs) with my spouse at home too I get the language you're using your pastor voice I need you to stop using your pastor voice yeah and that's apparently what they taught us in seminary is just this this pastor voice and how to never answer questions (laughs) but i appreciate it right because like so often when jesus has the opportunity to respond and especially when it's written in text the response is more often than not rooted in the story of love the narrative of love and i think that's the challenging part that leaves people pondering well what is that Mm mm-hmm well, right. And it's also why he can't just give like yes or no answers, um, you know, because I think that if he were to do some of those things, like that's how they would tra- like, you know, kind of trap him into kind of trapping himself into language that let me back up so that I can 
So the whole thing is, it's like, right, like throughout the story, when we hear him have these conversations with the Pharisees, they are trying to get him to condemn himself, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're trying to trap him into saying something that is against, you know, the Torah, against their law, um, so that they can get him in trouble. They're continually trying to put him in this kind of trap. I don't think that's what Nicodemus is doing here. Um, and I think the fact that he comes to Jesus in the dead of night tells us that this is an open heart conversation that Nicodemus mm. is coming not to trap him, but coming with this open heart of actually just really wanting to find out what this guy is about, um, that he's coming with open hands to just, just hear what, hear what he has to say, um, in the most genuine way. But I still think, you know, Jesus is still somewhat guarded. Right. And, and that could have something to do with the way that he responds to Nicodemus. Just a guess. Yeah. yeah. So he says some things here. Um, so what I read out loud towards the beginning is, you know, you know, I tell you, no one can sing the kingdom without being born from above. That's what I said. Many translations will say without being born again. Um, and so, you know, you get Nicodemus's really cheeky response. How can anyone be have been born again? Are they going to crawl up inside their mother's <laughs> womb and do it all over again? Can I tell you something fun? So when I was having this conversation with Pastor Chris a couple years ago, uh, the, the first time we talked about this, um, yeah. I was pregnant. I was very early on into being pregnant. And so like, I, he didn't know that, like we, you know, that ha you haven't told anybody yet. Um, so it was really fun. So like, I yeah. was thinking about that, um, the entire time that we're talking, right. And not being able to, you know, say anything. <laughs> Not related to what I just said at all. It just made me think about it again. Yeah. But it's that kind of logical brain that so many people go to of like, how can you possibly be born again? How can mm -hmm. you possibly experience life anew? I, yeah, I can't, I can't tell right here. Because, you know, right, this is written text. It's ancient, right? So we don't get any of this. You know, no one filled in the background of like how he said it. He just said, right? Like, I want to know. Yeah. Was Nicodemus a sarcastic asshole? Was that, yeah, Jesus, how can anyone be born again? It, you know, was that what was going on? Or is Nicodemus like just such a literal guy of like, how can anyone be born again, right? Like, if, what is your expectation here? Like, I think sometimes that is just lost on some people. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just curious about, about, you know, sort of what he's bringing to that conversation. Yeah. And so often when, uh, in my work at Reconciling Works, I think, you know, some of the story feels so real and like, mm. I can understand it because like we have people who will call our office or send us an email and be like, um, I don't think my pastor agrees with this or maybe people at my church don't, but I'm just wondering, like, are gay people really okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, beloveds like we're all just fine right and so like they're kind of doing that same sort of thing where like they bring their wonderings but they bring their wonderings and curiosity yeah from relationships that they have with people and experiences that they've had and then they bring it and say is this real can this really be happening is this a possibility of hope and love and and welcome is that that's a really but great comparison because i think you're right like you know it's that and that's probably also what Nicodemus is, you know, what he's doing, right? Of being afraid to say those things out loud for who might judge him or disagree with it um, in his particular circles, but that he has that feeling and that wondering um, and wanting to know more. Yeah. Yeah. And then for Jesus to, you know, as you had said, maybe have like a little bit more of a guarded response to kind of give them to give Nicodemus that like run of the mill, you know, <laughs> stamped of approval response of, yeah. Yeah. It's that simple, beloveds. It's yeah. that simple. And the, so this language here of being born from above, born from the spirit or being, you know, born again. Um, I know that like the language of being born again can have some very negative uh, connotation um, in, in Christian circles and how that that has been used um, and how it's been used to kind of like ostracize people um, from the church. Um, and I kind of like to, I think, I'd like to reclaim it a little bit uh, because 
I think especially, um, you know, I don't know a single LGBT person that doesn't have some sort of coming out story, right? Like that's just the thing we force people to do. Um, mm. I would like to see that change someday, but you know, um, it hasn't yet. And I think especially when I think about, uh, you know, trans folks sort of working through that process and then, um, you know, maybe doing a, a renaming or something about like, what does it mean, you know, this language being born again and being born more authentically? I don't know. Yeah. We have a God who has promised to make us a new creation every day. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't think that there's a possibility to be born again in who we are and how we see ourselves, how we live in community with one another, like that, that just feels like a daily occurrence to me that there's opportunity to be born again. Right. And I don't consider and I've gone to evangelical conservative churches, right? Like I did that to myself when I was like in the closet and I was just trying to be a good Christian of like, oh, if I can just figure out the rule book of like black and white, yeah. yes, no, good, bad. Like I went to those churches to kind of figure that out. Self-internalized homophobia is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And it's that promise of like, you know, I think especially in the scripture passage that's used all the time. And probably out of context and sometimes causes harm, but for me is a form of like liberation is because God so loved the world, mm -hmm. right? That God gave their only son for us to experience ourselves as new creation every day, to have hope, to have promise, to have new life, to have rebirth, new birth in all of the seasons of our lives. It's not just once; it's always. Yeah. Um. Who, who says the thing about the daily daily resurrections? That's a thing. I believe you. I believe I'm you. trying to remember who said it. It's someone <laughs> Lutheran. It might have been Bonhoeffer or Luther. One of those people. One of those things I had to read in seminary at some point in time. Um. But talks about like daily re daily resurrections. Um. Um. And that you know that's what we are being continually transformed and renewed. Um. And what you're saying. So for me, what's really really important is to never separate John three seventeen from John three sixteen. Um, because you get this John, you can clap. They can hear it. You don't have to, you don't Thank have you. to. I'm like, clap. yes, I'm doing like <laughs> sign language hands, hands up. Yeah. Uh, um, because just that, so we hear this John, you know, the, the 16 that God loved the world. They gave their only son. So that everyone who believes may not perish, but have eternal life. This is the gift, right? So this is the, the gospel in a nutshell, right? But what's really important is the very next verse, because it makes a difference as to how we understand and how we use John 3.16, because I do think the church has a very long history of using John 3.16 to mean this sort of in and out thing. Like you have mm. to do this or you are out, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so when we do that, we are condemning people, right? So we are saying you have to do this in order to be in. And if you're not, then you are condemned, right? That is our human condemnation that we're putting on all of these other people because they don't do things exactly the way we do right? That's okay. the danger that comes with John 3.16. Now, John 3.17, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the order that the world might be saved. Okay. Thanks for explaining it, right? How do we miss that every single time that that gets used in that way? <laughs> oh right? God. Like, ugh, it's like deep breath, full body groan. Because last week, I spent um, a full week with the Central States Synod of the ELCA, mm -hmm. who are lovely people and who are all on their own journey of discernment around welcome for LGBTQIA plus people. And I think it's so interesting to kind of watch how we interpret scripture, how we interpret roles as rostered leaders or as mm -hmm. congregations or churches, big capital C, right? To be able to say yes, no, in or out, you, but not you. Mm -hmm. And if we could just always remember John three seventeen at the end of that beautiful message, it could be an invitation for us to remember that we're not gatekeepers. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so two things. Once, so again, the world here, right? This isn't just, uh, you know, uh, this is cosmos, right? So the Greek here is cosmos. Mm. It's not humans. It's not humankind. It's not the Christians sitting in your pews. It's the cosmos. Mm. God sent Jesus to save the cosmos. Who? How did we ever interpret that to mean that we got to choose who gets this gift and who doesn't? doesn't make any sense to me no but also so again so uh something that the the listeners have heard me talk about is the understanding our worldview right and that we often often sit in an anthropocentric worldview meaning that we think the humans are the we're very human-centered um which leads to some really interesting theological conversations right so um divinely inspired uh you know these were humans that wrote these texts and so they typically are centered around humans um and so when we interpret them and we put humans at the center of of this story of this relationship with god um we kind of i think lose sight that like god created everything and not Mm. just like these people at the very end right um and so then when our worldview shifts to where we understand ourselves as a small part of a grander creation and story of love with a creator um i think that when your worldview shifts in such a way that all of a sudden you're like oh well this doesn't even make sense that we're trying to cherry pick the humans out of the whole pie it doesn't make any sense Mm. Because that's very much limiting God and God's relationship with, with their relationship with all of all, everything. Yeah. And sometimes our imagination, our understanding of what God is, is limited to how big we can dream and understand. And if we are centering it around humans, people, if we make the cosmos just about people, if we make faith god's love just about christians Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right that that opportunity to see god in god's fullness doesn't only get smaller it disappears yeah and i think too as as we kind of live into this next phase of global pandemic days whether you say we're in it or out of it or whatever i think spending two years in isolation for a lot of people had us continue to drill deeper into that self-centered focus silo you know Mm. of this is just about me and some people used their faith as an opportunity to like elevate that and say this is even more about me and you can't tell me I have to wear a mask Mm. like God's gonna whatever and I don't have to wear this mask and I don't have to care for you beloved my neighbor because it's about what I feel comfortable with and as we come back into community to kind of watch this painful transition of what it looks like to be together in the world again Mm -hmm. is also just a larger example of how we struggle to see God's fullness as cosmos versus we as reflections of God made in God's image beloveds it's all of it it's all of us like read some howard thurman it's everyone (laughs) it's all of us like (laughs) yeah which yeah again the language there that we are created in their image right um Mm. in in our image as uh, god speaks about themselves right uh I, i love that anyways um but that we we as in all of us and that gets lost in that translation somewhere too. Yeah. So here's and- this person creeping on in at night asking Jesus because their heart's going, what if? Yeah. Yeah. I what if there's that. more? I, I love that what if, right? Like, what if there's more than just this list of rules that, mm-hmm. they, that they keep telling me about, right? Like, what if, what if what he's saying? has this divinely inspired truth to it and oh beloveds there is yeah and what is it you know i 
This is where I'm also disappointed in Nicodemus and maybe it's just disappointed um, in the author because I'm so curious about Nicodemus, right? That like, we don't get a follow-up really. (laughs) You know, we don't get to hear more about Nicodemus's spiritual journey. And I think that makes me really sad because I mean, this Mm. is clearly, he is in the middle of some, you know, spiritual discernment. um, And I want to know what happens. We see Nicodemus two more times in the gospel of John. This is the first time that we meet him. The next time he's just around when the Pharisees are, you know, trying to attack, you know, theologically attack Jesus. He's just there. Doesn't really do anything about it. Um, And then the only other time that he appears is after Jesus's death um, to be able Mm. to bury him properly. So I guess, I don't Mm. know. That 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 does, I think, give us some clue as to maybe where where he ended up um, with all of it. Um, he could also still be in discernment and just, you know, is a respectful guy. We don't know. But even hearing that, like, how many times am I in Nicodemus in my life? Mm. How many times do I do that where I say I go and I ask a question because my whole body wants to know an answer. Mm. I get the answer. But yet, because of the community I live in, the culture I'm a part of, I don't always live out that answer to its fullest because mm-hmm. it would make other people uncomfortable, let alone myself. And so rather than maybe having a public change and display of how I am in the world, I'm just going to show up at the end and make sure that things are tucked in nice and neat, you know? rather than making a big public display about it in moments when I could have, where I could have interrupted moments of oppression, where I could have showed up in different ways. Like that also just gives it a completely different spin for me, where here's this person who wanted to learn something really deep, but maybe, and how, who knows? They lived that out in their life. Yeah. I'm really torn on sort of Nicodemus's response because like, so on one side, given the political position that he is in and the um, political turmoil that Jesus is quickly putting himself in. Um, I could see how, you know, for his own safety, he needed to to be quiet in the circles that he was in, right? Or else he would have been right up there with Jesus. Um, and then the other side of me is like, well, for all of those people that stayed quiet, that were complicit in putting this man to death, right? Like, is that also on him too? Mm. And as I think about, you know, actions and reactions um, and places for us to take a stand, um, you know, to stand up for others in our faith, where do we often fall on that scale? Where have I, where would I, if a scenario was life or death for someone else, where, w- where would I land? What would I do? I don't know. Mm. And, I, but those, you know, that's, a very powerful thing that has been, you know, sort of a reoccurring conversation, I think, um, lately. Yeah. I've been just this morning too, I was starting to, maybe this is, maybe I'm way too late, but I'm starting to pull together some of our Lenten prayers and actions for reconciling works. And I'm thinking about all of the anti LGBTQIA plus stuff happening across our country the over 300 pieces of legislation that's going on you know already in 2023 over 300 absurd i think about the fact that there's five states now that have banned health care for transgender young people and it's like where are we as church stepping in yeah to say no absolutely not that these are beloved people created in the image of a loving god And who are we to decide, you know, who who are we to ban them from care? And when we allow harm to happen to someone else, that affects us in our personhood. Yeah. So all of these things, right? Like we talk about scripture being in context and content and, you know, and I can't help but always bring it back to like where I am right now, the things I experience, the things I see, because I think the journeys that people were on once upon a time continue to be cycled through how we arrive as human beings and so scripture can be this thing that is living breathing as long as it is 
in partnership with the spirit conversation relationship daily experiencing in community you know this is why i think the context is important because i think for us and our opportunity to learn um from these people that have gone before us is like yes the stuff that jesus says is important but what can we learn in how to be faithful to humanity to god to the cosmos um by learning from these stories of those that have gone before us and the choices that they made and you know how that turned out yeah y'all we don't have to reinvent wheels <laughs> we just need to be present with our eyes plugged into our brains our ears plugged into our brains and how have it connected to our heart like yeah hey that's asking a lot some days trust me like I don't even brush my hair some days so I get it <laughs> I get it but I think what Nicodemus is is after here and what I think that he is really asking of Jesus um is is the same sort of you know big life question right like mm-hmm. of of understanding the the true purpose and what our relationship with God is supposed to look like you know, no one can enter the kingdom without being born of this water and spirit. Well, you know, what, what does this mean that the flesh is the flesh and the spirit is spirit and how, how do we do this? Right. We can't be born again from our mother's womb. Right. That's not what he's saying. What he's, you know, what he's, what he's after here and what he's talking about is, is this thing about like, well, how do we in mind, body, spirit, all those things connect, be in relationship with God. Mm. And I don't think that it's like a, it's a somewhere crazy down the road after you die kind of answer either. It's usually not, um, especially in the the Johannine stuff. Um, I don't remember what episode that I recently recorded that I'm not sure if this is going to be said before or after this episode um, about this idea of it's too much gospel john it's a problem anyways uh <laughs> this idea of the sort of light and dark um and mm. uh we we get this language of of light and dark of of death and new life um that it's always this dichotomy and what jesus is always offering is this this new life and it's a present verb the word is like it's in the present it's not in the future right that this thing that jesus is is offering I know that's all sometimes hard to understand in the English and not just in the English language, but how we have perpetually discussed and talked about the concept of the kingdom for mm. the course of, you know, a couple thousand years. Yeah. And also yeah. I just a, a history lesson on that. So this is uh, Aubrey was like, did I need to like read Greek and stuff? And I was like, it's fine. I'll say enough <laughs> nerdy things to, for everyone. <laughs> I mean, um, I went to seminary, but <laughs> uh, just a history lesson, a brief history lesson on some of the ways in which this has been historically, uh, these kind of things have been historically in, in interpret, interpreted is the word I just almost said, Inter- interpreted. Okay. Um, yep. Um, about this like life after thing and there being, you know, the better place after we die. Um, a lot of that mindset came by because like life was really rough. People lived short um, and somewhat miserable lives for many, many, many periods in history. Um, and so part of that is is about hope um, and to give this idea, you know, that like life isn't meaningless, that there has to be a goal that we are working towards. And so mm-hmm. when all your family members die, these short, miserable lives, well, where's the hope? What goal have you been working towards? Well, that comes after you die. Um, so it is a, it mm. is a, the way that that has slowly played out in history is because there there's a need for that sense of hope. Just to say that we now have a very, very ingrained theology um, of something that happens after we die rather than a kingdom manifestation before we die. That that slowly became a thing over the course of history it's not necessarily even what they're talking about here it's certainly in many places in the old testament is never what they're talking about um we have inserted that later throughout the course of what history. christians getting the old the torah wrong what huh 
that happens yeah (laughs) when I think right and so think about all the moments hopefully you have like a full basket of moments in your life where you can experience just like pure bliss pure Mm. joy pure love and to think that for some people to think that that's you know that's some of but like that is the kingdom of heaven that is right now living breathing with you like we celebrated my niece's seventh birthday this weekend a little a couple days early oh my gosh and like just that like belly laugh Mm -hmm. where you're laughing so hard that you're crying Mm -hmm. like if the kingdom of heaven isn't like that y'all if it's not what we're doing you know even having conversations like this like it's just being present Thank you for that reminder that it's not just this thing that we work towards, but it is right here, right now. I think anytime we are creating and recreating and co-creating with God, these scenarios where people are happier, healthier, um, safer, Mm -hmm. more equitable, these are all of the tiny moments that we are manifesting with this what this realm of God is. Yeah. Yeah. Which then comes back to Jesus's answer and response mm-hmm. for God. So loved the world that God made a way for all things. Yeah. All of the cosmos, all things. And not through condemnation, but just through pure blissful belly laughing, mm-hmm. joy filled love. I was listening like oh sometimes when I'm in the airport I just like scroll endlessly through Facebook or Instagram or whatever the heck is mm-hmm. you know requires little brain power and there's like this little snippet from from like some Facebook page or organization whatever called like the work of people and it was this clip of Brene Brown mm. talking about how she experiences Jesus and why Jesus is the answer for her is like a role model mentor type of thing. And she talks in there about how like when you really love, like really, really big, loud, fierce, big love, like you become dangerous to people. Mm. And I was like, and maybe that's one of the reasons why sometimes big belly laughing joyful ridiculously loud love in all of its forms feels really scary for people because it is absolute liberation yeah it is and that was the answer that jesus gave nicodemus yeah i yeah especially and i'm you know i don't totally know what the context of you know their emotional maturity was at the time um, but I know at least, um, a conversation that I've had a lot with my friends of, of, of late is just sort of kind of understanding that m- our parents and, uh, their generation the generations, you know, b- before them didn't, um, live into that same emotional maturity. And so you weren't encouraged to have, you know, those kind of feelings and that kind of moment. Um, and so, I think that's one of the reasons it makes people really uncomfortable too, of being comfortable um, with emotions and encouraging that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about how people learn about what love is. Mm -hmm. Not everyone has a safe, healthy understanding of what love is or experience of love. And so when that's the language that's used, sometimes that can be scary and big too, but, but yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I think the concept of love is, you know, I actually, um, uh, the year I was on my internship in New Jersey, uh, it was after the service and, you know, I had given some sermon about love, Jesus loves you, all those things, blah, 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 go and share it. Um, that's the summary of, you know, most sermons. Um, (laughs) yeah, that's it. You don't need to go to church this week. That's all you know. Um, but was in just sort of the sacristy, which is the area where the, the churches uh, usually 
prepare and keep all the stuff for like communion and the other sacraments and stuff um other singular other in sacrament um Lutheran churches anyways um anyways was back there putting all the communion stuff away and I was like hanging on my robes or something and she was just looked at me and goes you know I liked your sermon but sometimes I think that as humans we don't really know what love is and can't ever understand it I was like whoa Hmm. it's just very profound for the amount of communion wine that I just had to finish at the bottom of that cup um (laughs) And it like has always just kind of sat with me because like we do, we talk about what love is so much, but mm. when everybody has a different understanding of it, it's easy to see how we can come to totally different conclusions about how to love people. That's right. So what is the way in which we are loved by God and that we are asked to love others? Um, you know, caring for them, listening to them, uh, being a community, even when someone pisses you off, um, loving people for exactly who they are, no matter how they are. Right. Like these are ways that I understand, you know, scripture. There are also people that come down on the side of thinking what it means to love someone is to force correct them that that is somehow a, a loving action, right? That people believe that whether they, what's the uh, tough love, right? You, I know, I know your face. That is made like, all my chins pop out. I know. Like coiled a little bit. Yeah, I know. It's so true. Um, that sometimes I think one of the biggest fundamental issues that divides all of Christianity into the pieces it's in is a different fundamental understanding of what love is. I don't have an answer to that. I'm just just tossing out big buckets of yeah. problems. Yeah. Um, and like I think about my grandpa. So he, goodness, he's 94. And who, who he was taught that God is, is this very like growing up. The church that he was a part of was very harmful traumatizing because god was judgment god Mm. was punishment yeah and so that was perpetuated in having an abusive father who was just trying to be this faithful godly man who was a really dangerous person because of how the punishments that he dealt out to his kids because he thought that that's just what was his role right like and so I think about how my grandpa has experienced you know this framework of love from this perspective of judgment punishment I think about just two three generations right to where I'm able to sit and have experience of love being not that at all right yeah and then I think about how we're able to continue to think about how do we invite people into a deeper understanding of love if people haven't really experienced it but then if we get stuck in the cycle as church of thinking it's our job to continue to decide who's in who's out yes no like then we're just perpetuating that harm Mm -hmm. and what are we doing if it's really not supposed to be any of that it's supposed to be wild dangerous love not you know in the way of liberation in a way of freedom, in a way of cosmos, community, connection, it's not meant to be isolating and separating. I have to grab something. Hang on. I believe in you. Would you like me to do a song and number while you wait? Just kidding. Nobody wants that. Okay, so there's this uh, children's book. It's called Love Makes a Family by (laughs) Sophie Beer. And so just as you're talking (laughs) and thinking about like what love is and what we're inviting people into. First of all, this is a great book. Second of all, everyone loves to give this to a gay couple with a baby. We have three copies of it. So if anyone (laughs) needs to borrow one or wants to have one, we are stacked here. Um, But 
it's just like when we think about it, so this is you know i love is baking a cake special for someone love is knowing someone's what their heart is love is you know splashing around in puddles love is helping people you know love is watching someone perform from the front row that you love um you know love is playing on the weekends love is you know making you feel better when you don't feel good you know it's it's those things that describe what love is um that like that's you know the book is about like well that's what makes a family you know what makes you a family isn't because there's one man one woman blah 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 that's not what a family is you know there's grandparents there's two dads two moms there's all sorts of fun families in here um and the idea of like well love is you know, love is laughing with someone, love is supporting them, love is showing up, love is mm-hmm. helping, you know, that this is what makes family. Um, yeah. And so I think about when we talk about, you know, God's family and God's relationship with the cosmos, I, I think it can be simplified by a, a baby book, right? Like the kids get it better than we do often. Oh, a hundred times. So often. Mm-hmm. So often. Like to have little sweet little Heather and I, my spouse and I, we have a pretty successful amount of godchildren. Like we don't have any, we don't have any kiddos of our own by choice, um, but our lives are just rich with little ones, mm. and it is that simple, right? Like it is like when my nephew when we're having conversations, sometimes he'll just grab my hair and just start Mm. petting my hair as he's talking (laughs) to me, like looking me in the eyes. And it's the sweetest thing. And it's just such a pure little like, oh, hi, Auntie Ob. Um, Can I tell you about some Titanic stuff I learned? And he's just petting my hair. And I'm like, please do teach me, right? It can be that simple to just listen, to to be present. It doesn't have to be wild and extravagant. But there does need to be accountability in it. And when we start to think that love get to can be interpreted in a form of who's in, who's out, mm-hmm. when love can be interpreted as something that requires me to to correct you, right? Love the sinner, hate the sin. Yeah. Like, that's not, then there's an opportunity for you to go back, do some scanning in your body ground yourself and think about where's this where's this kind of love coming from is it from that place of simplicity and joy of abundance or is it coming from a place of scarcity Mm. and potential harm and exclusion yeah you know i think what we try and i know i i I literally does this for a living tries to get people to understand that you know this john 3 uh 16 and 17 that like god's relationship is with the the whole world right and so that means everyone is a part of that and it's not i mean you choose to say what i mean yeah that is and that should be all of our jobs beloved that should be all of our jobs (laughs) Like, especially rostered leaders. Like, if you think you're out in the world preaching the gospel, like, if you're not doing that on repeat, beloved, what are you doing out in the world? This should be all of our jobs. I was told last week, however, that it was just, um, right? And some people can't buy it. Some people can't get there. And maybe this isn't the season of their life to understand that. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to leave you behind. Hmm. It doesn't mean that I won't invite you back into conversation at some point, even though you tell me that it's brainwashing and forced compliance. Oh, oh my. Cause I'm, yeah, because I am I have that much authority in my life, y'all. Mm, <laughs> if you didn't know. <laughs> but like, if your gospel message as a rostered leader, as a church person, is just a human being, isn't as simple as, yes, beloved. God meant you. Yes, creation. God meant you. Mm-hmm. Yes, cosmos. God meant you. And I've got to figure out how I navigate and be in right relationship with all of it. 
with breath and step and action. How do I do it? It's a lot of balance. <sighs> and I don't do sports, so. I'm not very graceful at, at all. So I hear you. That's also got me, you know, in the metaphorical sense, I'm also can be somewhat un ungraceful because I'm a little too, um, the nice word, blunt. Um, mm. I grew up in Minnesota, right? Where everyone's like, oh, oh Minnesota God. nice. And I'm like, no, that is not Minnesota nice. It's Minnesota passive aggressive because mm -hmm. I spent 15 years out in the Pacific Northwest. And like my spouse grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And so moving here, people are like, oh, maybe you should say that nicer. And Heather's just like, no, because it's true. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. And it is. So. Can I say one of my, uh, when I lived in New Jersey, because uh, again, from Iowa, it's the same thing. People say Iowa nice about the same thing. Um, I was in a council, one of my very first like council, church council meetings at the church. Like there was just, I don't even remember what we were talking about. All I remember is two members got so heated. They just like stood up and started yelling at each other for a moment and then came to some conclusion that was apparently in agreement and then sat back down and went on with the meeting. Um, and everybody was fine. No one was upset. No one left with harbored feelings. We needed to talk about secretly later. They were just like, they said their piece. And that was it. That was the end of it. And we took a vote and we moved on. And I was like, what just happened? Like, this is not how people that I've met communicate. They say things and then they say more things that they don't really mean. And then they say more things that they don't really mean. And then they leave and they're still upset and they tell everybody about it. Yeah. And then that relationship is just underwater for however long. You know, and to be honest with you, maybe Nicodemus's circle was a little bit like Iowa and Minnesota. So that's why he he is like, I, I got to go talk to Jesus in the middle of the night. I can't I can't do this around because these people are going to talk. We know what they're going to say. You know, they're going to pretend like it's OK to my face. But, you know, the next thing we know, um, that's not how it goes down. So, uh, you know, yeah. again, these contexts that we don't get, um, you know, we don't really know why. Why does he come in the middle of the night? We'll talk about this more yeah. next week uh, as there is an intentional contrast between the story of Nicodemus and the immediate following verse with the woman at the well, who's an outsider who seeks Jesus in the middle of the day. Um, yes, it is also one of my favorites um, and it is fantastic. Um, so uh, if you, you have to listen to the Nicodemus story back to back with the, the woman at the well. Um, this unnamed woman at the well, right? So we have this man who's on the inn. He's a church leader. He's on the council. Um, he's a somebody. He's the right religion. He's the right whatever. And then, you know, who comes in the middle of the night. Um, and then next week, we're going to talk about um, a woman who comes in broad daylight and has a conversation with Jesus, right? And um, is unnamed, uh, is, a, is a foreigner, is an outcast. She's the wrong religion, the wrong sex, the wrong everything. Um, and mm. her different encounter with, with Jesus. Um, these, are, these are intentionally meant to be contrasted back and forth. Anyways. And isn't it delicious that Jesus makes space for both, all people all. to arrive as their full selves? Yeah. And to receive the same response of love and welcome. Well, hey, thank you for joining me um, in this uh, just great conversation about, um, you know, Nicodemus um, and God's relationship with the cosmos. Thank you. Thanks for new insight, new awareness, and good things to ponder. Mm. Well, good. If you have to preach soon, I hope that it can be helpful for you. <laughs> hopefully i don't not my gift or still <laughs> anyway well uh thanks for joining us um everyone uh thanks for listening and journeying along with us um please please share this podcast with someone that you know that just could use a you know a quick little uh bible into their week whether it's on a commute uh to work uh, to and from maybe um you're on a treadmill and just listening looking for a little something maybe you're struggling with um where you kind of see yourself um within within or without um the institutional church um you know i i hope that aubrey and i help shed some light that like listen you're you're still on with god um and just need to hear some of that 
Um, so if you need to hear that, someone else needs to hear that, please, uh, please share very much with them. You can learn more about the podcast at 10footpolepodcast.com and find us on Facebook and Instagram at 10footpolepodcast and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with and learn more about Reconciling Works at reconcilingworks.org. Um, and there's this really cool function on there where you can search for reconciling in Christ congregations in your area. If you would like to check out one of those congregations that has done those conversations, has had those convert, has done the work, discernment of work of welcoming um, in your area. And as always, the 10 foot pole podcast is a ministry of the Delaware, Maryland Synod. To learn more, go to demdsynod.org. Thanks y'all. <laughs>